Hey, it's Phil Simon. My new book is out now. It is called The Nine, The Tectonic Forces Reshaping the Workplace. It's my best work to date, and I hope that you'll check it out. Thanks. Problem is solved from your end. <laughs> um, I'd like to move us right along to a Peter Gibbons. Now, we had a chance to meet this young man, and boy, that's just a straight shooter with upper management written all over him. Conversations about collaboration, episode 26. Shiraz Kapala joins me. He is the product leader for Microsoft Teams meetings. We talk about artificial intelligence, machine learning, the power of hubs and spokes, and roosters. That's right. Roosters, let's rock. Shiraz, where does this pod find you? Ah, I am at home right now, where I've been working for the last year. And home is in? Phil, it's great to talk with you. Home is in Snohomish, Washington. Okay. Looks very bucolic. I'm jealous of all the green it here is. in Arizona. It's sort of the antithesis. You know, Washington is one over Arizona, the way I look at it. <laughs> we get nine months of gray, but the summer is amazing, and it's going to be a great summer, I feel. Yeah, well, let's bust right into it. Um, you and I have talked a number of times about this notion that collaboration hubs really are the future of work. Um, talk to me about Microsoft's perspective on that, because to be fair, I think a lot of people think of Teams as email 2.0. And I've said this on other podcasts, that's kind of like saying that my phone is only for making calls. It'll do that, but it does a few other things as well. It, it's actually a good analogy. We do so many things with our phones now that, what, 15 years ago, we couldn't have even imagined, uh, or we're starting to imagine, but they're so easy in Teams. You know the thing. The thing about the 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 seed of why Teams was created was to be a hub. That's the whole point: is to bring to bring all of these pieces together in one place where you can communicate and collaborate in different ways, the ways you need um, across many different work styles, many different ways of collaborating, many different uh, you know tools that you need to collaborate in one place. So it's easy to find, get to, or go back to. Um, uh, that, that was a, a key part about why Teams was even created. The way that I like to think about it is to throw out a 50 cent word, interoperability. So going back to, I'm going to say the early 2000s, I did a lot of ERP consulting and many times because I was good with data and tech, they said, oh, you can help us get the data from the legacy system um, into the, the contemporary one. And I always used Microsoft Office. Right. So, for example, they would send me the data as a spreadsheet, right? And I would link that into Microsoft Access, and then people would want reports. So I would geek out and, with Visual Basic, create a reporting dashboard that would send reports to people as Outlook attachments, right, in Excel or whatever. So, to me, the whole thing was mm -hmm. interoperable. Am I correct in thinking that that sort of mindset permeates teams now and, and certainly in the future? Exactly. Imagine bringing all of that in now in one communications hub, right? All those things you could do with Office, right? Now bring that into a communications hub where not only do the, the products and the tools interact, but they interact with, your, with the way you need to collaborate. So I can bring in and it, it, you say, I'm working on an Excel spreadsheet, like you said, I could bring that in. We can chat. We could post that into a channel. We can chat about that. I can I could even pin that to make it make it a central place of information that people can add to you know over time, 
and then we can pop it back out and use it somewhere else, right? And so that is bringing those pieces all together. And the thing is, is what's what's important about Teams and what our customers particularly say is that it because I'm in one interface in one place, it's easier. I don't have to go to a whole but like before you had to jump into all these different different apps, different places to go find everything. I could find it all in one place. That's what makes a huge difference. So all my, I've got my files organized in the same location as where we're having rich conversations over channel posts. And then I could, you know, jump off really quick and have a quick conversation with someone on the side and come back. That's what makes a big difference with what, the way we've done it before. I think it's a massive shift because you think about toggling back and forth among these different applications to staying not exclusively, but more of the time in one place. So it saves you time right? You're not wasting time trying to find it. Is it in OneDrive? Is it in Dropbox? Is it an email attachment? In theory, it's all in Teams. The search is much more powerful. You've got one knowledge repository. And then I put on my sorcerer hat for five to seven years down the road, if not sooner, with AI and machine learning. I mean, imagine the recommendations you could get because again, it's all in one place and you're not trying to stitch things together through APIs or ETL jobs or whatever. That's exactly right. So, so, and you mentioned search, which is really important. You, the, it's so critical. Like information is shared in many different ways. You're sharing information in documents and decks and Excel. You're sharing information in 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 conversations, and the piece of information you don't know where where it is. You just remember, oh, someone said something about that last week, and now you're trying to figure out where to find it. One unified search, and wherever that piece of information is comes up. You know, across all of those different types of inf- types of artifacts, that makes it so much easier to sort of get at all that all that knowledge. To me, it's really interesting when you think about the limitations of our memory, because yes, sometimes you could say, "Oh, I remember exactly on what date, right, or what the file is called, or the person with whom I was having that chat." I was speaking with my neighbor the other day, and he was showing me Cortana, uh, which, for people who don't know, I'll just let you explain it because you know it better than I. Well, so this is funny because I have a horrible memory. I, I have very, sh- I, I, I have really good long-term memory and really bad short-term memory. Let's put it that way. And so I need to sort of organize things in a way that I know where to retrieve, so I could quickly retrieve. But I'm not going to have it at the tip of my tongue, right? And so you know, Cortana is a way to do that. But really, Microsoft AI, the whole infrastructure of indexing the corporate information across communications, across documents, all of these across, uh, you know, databases, business tools, that's really where the power is. So when you do a search in Teams or in office.com and it crosses, all of these things are interrelated. So we actually take all of those capabilities and we, and we expose them through the different different surfaces, right? Even in Outlook, right? All those things are, sur- are surfaced together. So when you do that search, you're searching across the vast all of that knowledge using AI, the same AI that powers Cortana, in some ways, it's powering the substrate search in, in Microsoft 365. And you can get it all of that really easily. And it helps me. I got to tell you, just, just to be clear, right? I told you my memory is bad, right? I, it, it, it actually surprises me sometimes. And obviously, I work at Microsoft, right? So, but, but truly, when I came back two years ago and I executed the search, for the first time. And I'm like, wow, it just came up in like the first 10 hits, the thing I was looking for. It was, it was actually a, a surprising moment for me too. It was a delightful moment. So my neighbor was showing me Cortana and how it had reminded him that of the, whatever it was, 10 messages in his inbox, 
he had responded to eight and not two. And this blew him away. And he's about halfway through my own book. And I said, oh, clearly you haven't read one of the last chapters on the future work, because as cool as it is to say, hey, you've got 10 emails in your inbox, you've responded to eight, no disrespect, but that's not that interesting, right? It's basically, yes, you've responded right. or no. I fast forward five to seven years and I think whether it's Cortana or some of the other AI stuff that you guys are doing or uh, Project Cortex, which again, almost turning everything into a Wikipedia type page, you're going to have recommendations that are so much more profound or timely than just you didn't respond to these two emails. Am I wrong on that? No, you're absolutely correct. Think about it this way, right? There's so much information. Even just basic search isn't enough. The search has to be tailored to what you care about. I'll use a very simple example. Very simple example. When I go to add someone um, uh, in, as a, to find someone to add them to a group chat, I want to go find and chat someone, right? I could type a name in Phil, and there's a lot of Phil's at my. There's only one me, damn it. Right? <laughs> there's only one Phil Simon. There's a lot of other Phil's out there. And when I type that in, it knows the people that I've been most interacting with or the degrees of separation and filters those and shows me the top results for the, for the people that are closest to me. Like that's, that seems very simple, right? But that, like when I think about, you know, uh, uh, over a hundred thousand people at Microsoft, it actually matters for me to find the person I need to communicate with. And it's, and it's dead on. It's exactly what it's usually it's it, almost every time. It's exactly the people I need right there. Right. Even though they're common names, it, even in the first three characters. Right. So it's not even Phil it's PH and then it finds you. Right. That's powerful. Um, but then it goes to, when I think about documents, right. We've, you, you already see this today in outlook, for example, um, where, uh, it'll suggest content to you based on the calendar item that you're looking at. Right. How is it doing that? If it just searched on a title, well, team meeting, well, there's lots of team meetings out there. This document that relates to, or there's lots of, you know, I don't know, say uh, sales report. Well, there's a lot of sales reports out there, but it's the sales report that's closest to me based on the documents I interact with or the people I interact with. Right. That's the kind of suggestions that can be powerful. I see you and raise you. As cool as that is, right? I, I envision <laughs> a scenario in which, correct me if I'm wrong, you work at Microsoft, I don't. And maybe it already exists in, in beta form or some sort of um, preliminary format. The suggestions will actually find you, right? Kind of like if yes. I'm searching on Netflix for Breaking Bad, if I type in B, that's a reasonable assumption given the fact that I've probably seen that show 15 times because that's a different discussion, right? So searching, <laughs> finding Breaking Bad, given the fact that I typed in B or Brian Cranston, so be it. But as you know, with Netflix, they're also recommending things that you wouldn't have thought. Or even if you're not searching, you just log into the app. Again, am I wrong on that? Yeah, that, that will start to happen over time, right? Is that the, the system can anticipate. You're really talking about anticipating what you might be interested in. And how those engines work is they learn. These systems are all learning systems. So if you if you if you choose one of those recommendations, it then learns and says, oh, that was right. Whatever in the system helped me recommend that, I'm going to weight that higher. And the ones that you don't choose, you're implicitly saying that's not relevant to me. So over time, the system will write this out. And then it'll know kind of what you're probably more interested in and can share that with you. You're talking about a few things here, and I want to get a little bit techie. Um, I'm sure you've heard of whether it's Facebook social graph or the work graph. 
basically how do we relate in a visual way, right? I, I don't see, again, without having seen any kind of schematics or any kind of technical specs, I mean, I'm going to guess that if you walked into a technical meeting at Microsoft and said work graph, people wouldn't look like you from Mars. What do you mean by work graph? Because because we when we think about that, you can construct relationships yes, across. Yeah, we 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 actually can construct the relationships based on the communications and the things that you do. And so actually what you're going to start to see over time is us actually connecting people, right? Two, three degrees of separation that you may not have found before because we know you're working on the same things. You're talking to the similar people, right? That work graph is very real. It's been there for a long time, right? Even in email, right? You only email a certain group of people in your work group and, and certain people outside the tentacles out to other teams you're collaborating with. Well, all those things connect when you when you see that network across all of those connections, right? So we're gonna we're, we are starting to um, figure out how to leverage that to help people be more productive and find each other and find the things they want to work on. Yeah, I mean, I, I can imagine a scenario in which you and I are going back and forth in teams, sending direct messages, or maybe we're posting in a channel. And Teams recommends, you know, hey, here's a suggestion. Um, Sally really ought to be involved in this discussion because even though her title in the org chart may not seem related, again, Microsoft with more than 100,000 employees is a pretty big place. Maybe she's got some really relevant experience or knowledge that would help. Exactly. Exactly. So we know. Here's another way to think about it, too. So I invite, say, five people into a meeting because we, we need to get together and have a real-time conversation, right? Uh, we've had enough chat. I need to invite them in. And that meeting is scheduled for a couple of weeks from now for some reason, right? Now, we go into that. We, 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 as we're getting close to that meeting, imagine the system now tells you, hey, someone new joined the team that would probably be really good to have them. Have you ever been in a meeting and said, oh, if we'd only invited that person, this, we, they, they would have got the advantage of this thing, or we needed their input. The system will be able to tell you those things and proactively help you invite the right people at scheduled time and even later when right before you need them there, right? That's the idea that we're, that's the where we're going. See, that's the part that really the, the geek in me just loves because we spend less time trying to find things, people, knowledge, documents, whatever, and schedule meetings, right? Which I absolutely can't stand doing. I envision a future in which you know, the hub would automatically find times for people. And if, even if you don't necessarily know, we need to talk with people because you're, you're talking about something else. And that's the difference between synchronous and asynchronous work. Talk to me about your perspective or the Microsoft Teams perspective on that, because I know my own opinion. I think they're potentially, they overlap. But there are some things that make much more sense to do asynchronously versus synchronously. Again, I'm, I'm going to assume that you and I are on the same page. Absolutely. There, there are so many things that we can get done more effectively asynchronously, right? When you think about being together in any sort of real-time meeting, that's very expensive. It's expensive on your time. It's expensive on your mental um, uh a capacity, right? When you can collaborate asynchronously, hey, I have this, this piece of content, this document ready for people to review. Let me send it out there and give people time when they're ready to, to, to engage on that. They can, they can do that. They can do provide their input, uh, see each other's input, right? As it's coming in. And then it's all at, when it's aggregated in one place and I get back to it. Now, look, all of that is there and that may take a few days. 
and it gives people time. The part of the advantage with asynchronous too is it gives people time to be very thoughtful about how they're collaborating and 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 what they're sharing and what their what their um what their ideas are, right? So you get you I actually think you get better collaboration for many scenarios asynchronously. And then sometimes you want to do a brainstorm together and you want to feed off of each other's energy or you've got a really tough problem you're trying to puzzle out together, right? That's when you then want to take advantage of a real-time conversation. Um, that's We're going to see people doing separating the, those things more and more as they adopt these kinds of collaboration hubs. Because the only way you can do that effectively, the best way to do that effectively is through these kinds of collaboration hubs where you can pop in and out. You can, you can communicate with each other very easily. Sure. Sure. I mean, and just think about the logistical problems of someone new joining the organization. What are you going to do? Send that person 67 different emails with attachments? No, you're going to have, again, at the very least, the person being able to scroll through a channel, but I'd argue a, a potentially a better way would be for the channel automatically know the highlights, right? Assuming I'm new here, right? What are the five things that I need to know? Because I'm not going to read, you know, 12 hours worth of messages and synthesize that. That just isn't practical. It's exactly right. And that's the thing that resonated so much for me about your book is that it really, you, what you talk about in there is about changing the way people think about collaboration and the culture in, in companies to shift that mental model to how can we be productive together? How can we be productive together, but not have to be in, in a meeting together, or even in a room together to do it, Right. Oh, I wish we had this conversation on a consulting project. And I think it was 2005 where there was a mandatory Monday meeting, 7 a.m., five minutes of which probably pertained to what I was doing. And knowing what other people were working on was all fine and dandy. But there was a reason we were there. It was six or seven o'clock every night, right? Every minute that I was in that meeting was, was basically an opportunity cost. That's right. That's right. Here's the other thing that's so important too. I don't know if you could hear my rooster crowing in the back. I was wondering what kind of animal that was. This is not a sound effect, folks. No, this is not a sound effect. That's my rooster. But imagine, right? I'm at home. The technology that we have today allows me to be at home in Snohomish, Washington with my family. And I could pop in and say, oh, look, someone needs to be comment on that. Boom, I put my comments in. I can go back. I can pop back in and say, how did that go? Right. The flexibility available in this new world and with the shift to hybrid with remote working that we've had over the last year, right? We've accelerated the 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 adoption of this kind of flexibility by at least a decade, if not more. You know, it depends on who, which, which, which um, research you look at. People, people will vary on how much it's accelerated, but no one would, everyone would agree this last year has accelerated people's comfort level with meeting remotely. And but the thing is, with meeting remotely, that that that, you're, what requ that requires also being able to connect asynchronously. Yeah, I think this is the first podcast in the history of the world to mention Microsoft Teams and Roosters. <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen any user numbers and I don't want you to violate any confidence, but I suspect that just based on my own experience, a lot of people are more comfortable with Zoom or Teams or Slack, but they're still using a fairly small percentage. You probably have power users or people like you and me who just go in and go, cool, what does this do? But because people are busy, because to your point from before, some processes haven't changed. Maybe there still is that one hour Zoom meeting every day that takes time away from other work that needs to be done. 
Um, I suspect that people are just used to sending email for internal communication, right? But what are maybe some of the factors that are inhibiting people from going deeper and taking advantage of some of the integrations? Because fundamentally, you're talking about a network effect, right? The more people who use the hub, the better it is. And it's fine if one department or one group uses it, right? But you're not going to take advantage of all the sexy things we talked about with artificial intelligence and search and recommendations and the work graph and all the cool stuff. But if 10% of the organization uses it, you're really going to see a much smaller benefit than if the entire organization uses it. That's that's absolutely true. Um, the 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 adoption curve, um, part of that what influences that adoption curve is really it's it's also takes a cultural shift in the organization, and and so um, when you're when you're thinking about it, right, a small work group oftentimes can start and get a lot of get get it a fair degree of benefit, right? Because they're able to have a much faster loop in communicating, right? And able to structure those communications more effectively. But the moment they have to communicate outside that group, which happens a lot because we have such interconnected, the the way we accomplish things today is far more dependent on, on broader groups of people coming together than in the past, right? So the moment that group needs to communicate outside, now it becomes harder again, right? And so that adoption curve um, is important. And even at Microsoft, right, we, there's different pockets of people that are more used to one mode versus another mode. And you can start to feel some of those, oh, now I've got multiple inboxes, frankly. I have an email inbox and I have a Teams, teams inbox with chats and channels and those things, right? And so balancing those is hard. It's one of the reasons why you see us doing things like bringing those things together. So I could take an email and with one button, I can turn it into a, a Teams chat. Right. And so now I could start to bring those things forward into that new way, that new hub of communication and bridging over as so more and more people start to be able to participate in that. That's actually one of the examples in my book about teams and how someone's not abiding by the culture, which is, hey, we're using teams now and sends an email. You could respond snarkily with, hey, dude, you know, this isn't 1995. Um, get over it. Or to your point, I have some kind of add-in or integration, but basically with one click, you port that over to Teams where it should have been in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. You can you can go you can go go back and forth like that very easily, or at least bring it in um, and start to bring people in. And then people, as they get used to it and used to this hub of collaboration, right? They don't wanna they don't wanna go outside because it's so valuable and because they can they can um accomplish more. Maybe that's the reason that I'm sometimes not the most patient person. I feel like I've, I'm enlightened. I've seen the better way of doing it. And there's a part of me that says, okay, I can show this to you. I'm more than happy to, but I've shown this to you. It is objectively better, yet you're still relying upon reply all, right? Which I guess uh, one of the other things I discovered writing the book, it's fairly easy with Outlook. I guess if you're an admin, Right to basically disable that for internal email. I'd love that. I would be all over <laughs> That's that. Great. That's great. Right, because reply all <laughs> again if it's external and you don't want to move everyone to Teams and it the squeeze isn't worth the juice because it's a discrete project versus an ongoing one. We're going to work together for a year. I, I really hope that we're not going back and forth with this. Yeah, it. You know, I like you. Right, once you've seen the light. It, it, it's so powerful and you just really enjoy it and want to stay there. And, and, and at the same time, right, it takes time to, for everyone to come on board. And that's, you know, having worked at s- tiny, tiny, small companies and having worked at very, very large corporations, right? Um, 
what's what I think is important is is to for the corporation to really sit down and say, you know, what are our goals to shift? How are we going to make our workforce more effective and efficient? And then to say, okay, how are we going to adopt this new way of working? And there's some amount of retraining that people require. But when you but but what corporations are doing, and they're they're adopting more and more of these hubs because they're finding it's more effective, and they're and they're figuring out how to shift the the mental model. Uh, to get that pro- those productivity gains. Yeah, I mean, you and I hit it off during the first two minutes of our call. It isn't just about deploying <laughs> teams and everything takes care of itself, right? It's about culture. It's about training. It's about performance management. It's about transparency. It's about looking at business processes and said, look, this worked reasonably well in 2019, but now that we've seen what can happen if everything's remote, yeah, we'll be in back in some kind of hybrid capacity. I saw, was it this past Monday? Microsoft opened up to, what was it, 20% capacity? Yes. Yes. Microsoft just opened up more and is continuing to open up. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, you know, maybe it's easier for Microsoft because, as I say, in Silicon Valley, they're eating their own dog food. But one of the things that I think people misunderstand about these hubs is that it doesn't require any technical skill. It's, right, it's a slightly different UI, right? And maybe there's a little bit of training, but, you know, it's, you know, we know what the at symbol does. Right, it's not like you have to learn Python to get this thing to work. Now, for some of the really sophisticated stuff and custom integrations and all that, that's a different discussion. But I mean, a, a lot of these low and no code tools, and this has come up on other podcasts, make it almost fun, right? Because you're almost creating this mini app, or you found a way to hack things that what used to take you an hour now takes you five minutes after you learned how to do it right. I just, to me, we're, we're taking a lot of the drudgery out of work and moving it into the, the stuff that can't be automated. Right, the, the brainstorming, the writing, yeah. the collaboration, the communication. Which, again, I don't see that getting automated away anytime soon. But I could be wrong. Well, well, here's where I think it gets really powerful: is in the old world, you, you know, the writing you wrote and then you published, and then people would give you feedback. That's that in and of itself is also old school. And so more than just the hub, it's how we collaborate and co-create, co-author content for, the, for what we're trying to accomplish. That's where we're really going. So it's more that we're creating that PowerPoint document, PowerPoint deck together, or we're creating that Word document together. You edit, I edit simultaneously or asynchronously. And so... That that's where it gets powerful. And so we're literally brainstorming and documenting it. One of the hardest things is if you don't write it down, you can't share that knowledge. When you can write it down together and riff off of each other, that's more powerful. Mm. Good stuff. I'll get you out here on this. What book are you currently reading? What book am I currently reading? Um, uh, right now, I just finished your book, which was awesome. And I'm in between books right now. Um, so I, it's, uh, there's a few that I have a stack on my shelf and, uh, I, I'm due to select the next one. Good stuff, Shiraz. Thanks for joining me. Say hi to the rooster for me. <laughs> Thanks, Phil. Pleasure to chat with you. Thanks for listening to Conversations About Collaboration. If you like what you heard, 
and how can you not? Please download, like, and or subscribe. See you next time. Remember that these episodes drop every Tuesday. However, if you'd like early access to them, you're in luck. I've launched a Patreon page for this podcast at, wait for it, patreon.com forward slash Phil Simon. I've set up a number of different tiers, including early access and podcast sponsorships. Thanks for listening to Conversations About Collaboration. If you like what you heard, and how can you not, please download, like, and or subscribe. See you next time.